Good afternoon. It's Chickie Fitzgerald. It's Friday, March 1st, 2013, and welcome to Egg Live, the Executive Girlfriends Group radio show. And we are interviewing today uh, someone who has been a guest on our show before, Brett Blumenthal. And Brett has written a book called A Whole New You, Six Steps to Ignite Change for Your Best Life. And, you know, I think it's interesting, Brett, because, uh, you know, so many people uh, that are part of the Executive Girlfriends Group have have either been in the same industry or the same job, uh, the same marriage, I mean, which is a good thing. <laughs> but, you know, quite often, uh, and, and no matter how old you are, we are at a place where, you know, you do sit back and say, you know, is is this as good as it gets? And, you know, I I think it's never too late for us to ignite change. So I'm so excited about uh, this topic for today. So why don't you, uh, for those people who didn't hear uh, our previous show, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, Well, I've been sort of a professional reinventor (laughs) for most of my adult life, Um, after going through architecture school and practicing architecture for a few years, I left to become a management consultant. And um, I was always in wellness because when I was in, in college, actually, I started teaching aerobics. And so that's where my passion for health and well-being sort of started. And then over time, I've switched careers a couple times, but the passion for wellness always stuck. Um, and when I was in management consulting, I did a lot of work with Fortune 100 companies on change management and training and development. So I worked with them to get through a lot of large um, organizational changes that they had to deal with and working with the people side and learned quite a bit about sort of the process of that. And right. um, the book that just came out sort of capitalizes on that experience and instead of obviously talking about corporations changing, it goes into personal change and how one can maximize um, their potential by, you know, following sort of a process that helps them sort of navigate the whole idea of a transformation or reinvention. Right, and and six steps sounds uh, very manageable. Although I will <laughs> tell you that you know I love the title uh, and the concept behind your book uh, that you wrote last year, which is. 52 small changes, one year to yeah. a happier, healthier you. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think if, if you're really embarking on, on some self-discovery and self-change, uh, you know, taking it in small doses uh, can, can be a really good thing. It's interesting. A lot of the questions that I've had have a lot to do with, um, you know, I have a section on my site, it's Ask Brett, and if you have any questions about any of the books or struggling with any pieces, I encourage people to and my readers to, you know, send in questions so I can kind of help them at least virtually. And um, you know, some people really are are curious, am I going at the right pace? What if I have to go backwards? Right. And frankly, every person's journey through change or transformation is very individualistic and uh, permitting yourself to have that individual unique journey is a very important aspect of the whole process. Right. So let's let's start with uh kind of the preparation process. And you know, some people may have stumbled on this show because they they've listened to previous shows and found the content interesting. And maybe they they aren't uh dissatisfied and 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 not 
feeling a need for personal reinvention. So, so what is personal reinvention, and does it necessarily mean you're going from bad to good or just from one place to another? I wouldn't say that it's from bad to good. I would say it's from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Um, and I think, you know, for for many people, um, you mentioned earlier having the question, um, is this as good as it gets? If people are asking themselves that, then that probably means that it isn't <laughs> and that it could right. be better. Um, and I think that, you know, the the self-discovery process and, really understanding who you are and what you want out of life and your values and all the things that sort of make you the person you are today is crucial to taking the first step of going through any major change or transformation because to do any large change or, I mean, there's so many ways we can re- we can phrase it, right? Change is can be very small, but cha- a transformation or reinvention tends to you know, really imply a larger scale change. And so, you know, that means a lot of energy and effort needs to be put in. And to to do it for the wrong reasons or to do it that's in a way that's not authentic to you is only doing yourself a disservice. Right. And, and Brett, I know you back up what you're doing with research. So what do the experts say about this? Um, about... What in about reinvention, the need for reinvention, what it does for you? Well, you know, I think there are different schools of thought. I think some people really, you know, the whole positive psychology movement um, would have you believe that, you know, there's there's a lot to be said for what you have today, and it's the way you frame your thoughts and how mm-hmm. you think about um, your life that really makes you happy. It's not really about the things you have or the things that you um, buy, obviously. That's a very materialistic view of happiness. But then there are people who believe that, you know, there's there's good reason to question, um, as you said, you know, is this as good as it gets? Can it be better? Um, and I think that I wouldn't, they're experts, but they're also, in a sense, philosophers. You know, I think that the meaning of life is a very hard question for people to ask or answer, I should say. And so as a result, you have to find what feels right to you. If you're not happy and you've tried different things, maybe it's maybe it's taking that positive thinking approach and looking at things from a, you know, a half full glass mentality and you're still realizing that something just isn't right, then that's 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 okay, you know, it's okay to say, you know, I'm not as happy as I can be and I can I can be happier. But if you're the type of person who tends to find fault with everything in your life and you don't see the glass as half full and you only see the negative, then then that probably means you need to do some work, maybe a reinvention in your outlook, you know. So I think it depends on the individual, but I also think that there are different schools of thought as well. Right. Well, I love how practical the book is. And, and you start out by laying out the, the six stages of personal reinvention, and then you provide uh, at kind of the tail end of the book uh, the new you journal and and a way for you to document and track, um, you know, following each of these stages. So why don't you give us the framework uh, of the six stages uh, as an overall, and then, you know, we can can dig in a little bit to each one of them. Sure. Um, As I I sort of mentioned, the first 
the first piece of the puzzle is really getting to know yourself. And so understanding what signs you should be looking for to even understand if there are any changes to be made is crucial. And I talk about um, identifying the signs. That's the first stage and, and how to do so and the different types of signs to watch out for. The second stage is uh, that self-analysis, getting to really dig deep, think about your values, think about your upbringing, thinking about your fears, your failures, your strengths, all of the things that, as I said, kind of make up who you are, and really doing the work to get to know yourself so well that when you move through the process, the rest of the process, you know that you're making decisions and predicating your, you know, your plans and your visions all based on what you really want versus sort of the idea that maybe somebody else wants something for you instead. And then the third stage is really creating that vision of what your future is or what you want your future to be. Um, Because without vision, you really can't move forward. The fourth stage then gets more into the details and the nitty-gritty, so creating the plan of action. How are you going to make that vision come to fruition? The fifth stage, I'm losing count, fifth stage (laughs) um, gets into making that plan happen. Your plan can be really great, but if you can't implement it or you don't know how to implement it um, or you are having a hard time taking that first step, it's a real problem. So making it happen is really what that last, that fifth stage is. And then finally, the sixth stage, which is often, I think, forgotten, is monitoring your progress, really getting a sense for what's working, what's not working. Did you take sort of a a path that may not be ideal? Do you have to tweak things? Do you have to look at things a little bit differently? And so going through sort of the cyclical, you know, revisitation of what you're doing to make sure that you're still on the right track. Got it. Got it. So when you lay out the uh, the journal, um, I, you know, by the very nature of the word journal, you think about being able to, to actually document it. Um, have you had uh, people give you feedback about about utilizing the journal and whether whether that you know actual writing down of things helps them uh, in achieving it? Well, studies show that people who actually journal progress for any kind of changes that they want to make usually are have a higher success rate than those who don't, and that is often seen in the diet world. So people who food, you know, do create food journals really tend to have a higher understanding of what they're eating, um, are much more mindful. And so that mindfulness really helps people um, kind of stay accountable for what right. they're doing. And it's the same thing in this case as well. The new, the new Year journal really is meant to help the person who's going through the six stages have a place to sort of force them to document some of the stuff that that they're coming up with or that they're thinking through. Um, it's kind of just a tool. I wouldn't say. I mean, with you can't do you can't do the process without the first half of the book. So it's right. very de- highly dependent on what's in the first part of the book. But even if you weren't to use my new you journal, you know, just journaling the process of any kind of reinvention or transformation would be very helpful. To, right. you know, to ensuring your success. Well, and I, I think the one thing we don't do as women, and and you know, I mean, maybe it's unfair to make this a gender thing, but uh, but I think I think it is. 
is that we don't take time um, to work on ourselves. Uh, we work, we work a lot, and we stay incredibly busy. Um, you know, but I remember reading a book about entrepreneurialism that says, you know, that unless you can take time out of working in your business, you can't work on your business. And I think the same thing is true of our own reinvention, that we may feel just, and maybe it's even just mild discontent. Maybe not it's it, not out and out unhappiness, or as you know, as bad as is this as good as it gets. But just that mild discontent with wondering or, or maybe even listening to other people's telling stories about where they are and thinking, oh, you know, f- you know, feeling maybe not out and out envy, but, boy, I wonder if I would thrive better in that environment. Um, sure. So, you know, uh, have you heard other people with that, with that kind of feedback? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that... <laughs> The the words reinvention and transformation can really there there's a large scale I guess in there you know um, I talk very early in the book about sort of the dimensions of well being and there are different areas in our life that make up in a sense our well being and that's your career your um, relationships uh, or your social well being. Um, your intellectual well-being, are you, you know, mentally stimulated enough, your spiritual well-being, your physical well-being, obviously. And so I think depending on which area you're kind of focusing on, like your career, let's say, if you're in a career that you're not that happy with, but um, you kind of like aspects of it, you still might want to make a career change or a career move, and sometimes having a process to put behind that is helpful. And sort of that's what the book's for. You know, it's, it doesn't have to be this huge overhaul of I'm going to basically be a whole new person. It's more, right. you know, if something's not working in your life, put a process to making a change because right. often when we don't have any process or you know, don't have a have a structure, we don't know where to begin. And so that's what the book is offering. It's really giving, it's walking people through a process to help right. them go through any kind of change at any kind of level that they want to make. Right. And, you know, like doctors do in, in diagnosing a problem, you know, there are multiple dimensions that they look at when they're, when they're hearing your your complaints right and and you know trying to determine what's symptom and what is truly problem and you know as we were talking i was thinking about how you know when i sit and listen to uh one of my uh board members or or one of my um uh, members of the executive girlfriends group who has chosen to stay on the corporate side of life uh as opposed to the choice that i've made of being on the entrepreneurial side i listen to them talk about uh you know different things that they've done and and as they get promoted you know i sit back and and there's a part of me who wonders um you know if i could have been happy had i stayed in corporate life and cuz i know that by this time in my life i would have been you know a a very senior executive if not a ceo uh you know sure. of a company in my industry and um but but really at the heart of that, it's not that I want to be in their shoes, right, if I really right. start unpeeling that onion. And I think that that's what your book really does, is it helps you look at those things that may seem appealing but really help you figure out what is at the heart of, of what it is that you are trying to change. And 
Uh, I know for a lot of people, you know, it it kind of manifests itself in they're not happy in their marriage. But, you know, it's really because they're spending so much time at work that they don't even know their spouse anymore. Or, you know, they're not happy being a mother or, or, you know, I mean, whatever it is. Um, So I I think the practical side, and, and again, once you've made it through the, you know, 177 pages of the book and get to the journal uh, part of it, um, the journal has all of these tools, and and I think that that's that's um, uh, part of the real value of this book is is that it begins step by step, walking you thing uh, through things like in the discover yourself section. It begins with a my values worksheet. Well, right. you know, I I know a lot of people who just take their values for granted, and sure. and if you ask them to write them down, um, you know, it it starts to get a little bit hard. Yeah, and actually, uh, I I think the values piece is really interesting because if you were to ask people what are your you know five main values, what would they be? Um, a lot of people can't even answer the question right. because I don't think people necessarily take the time to really think about them. But um, understanding those values helps you make decisions and um, basically navigate your life. Um, in a more appropriate way for you. And what's interesting is that I even discuss in the book that your values generally remain consistent, but what they mean to you or how you define them may change. So the one example that I love is success. You know, a lot of us value, one of our values is to be successful. Um, But, you know, that changes over time. When I was, you know, in high school, getting into the best college and getting, you know, being in the top five of my class was a huge way of me understanding that I was being successful. And then getting the good job meant being successful. Getting a good salary meant being successful. And then once I got married, you know, it it started to morph into, like, having Mm -hmm. that balance between, you know, my career as well as my family and actually I'm expecting our first child in a in a couple months so it probably will morph again to being a great mom so you know being flexible understanding your values but also being flexible to what they represent or mean I think is also really important as well well, and it's interesting because you you go from the values discussion and into taking a look at strengths and weaknesses, and I, I think that that's an area where, you know, if you devote some time, I I, I think you can come up with those. But the next section uh, in in the workbook on on discover yourself um, is one I think that people uh, really need to get into, and and they don't, uh, and and that's the section on fears, past fears, current fears, conquered fears. <laughs> Um, We did an interview, a special interview on Ag yesterday of a woman who had had written about finance, and she was talking about, um, you know, how people have uh, such an emotional relationship with money, you know, and and that there there are so many fears embedded, you know, fears of, you know, what do I do if I don't have it, you know, how would I handle if I had it, uh, you know, and, and I didn't really feel like I earned it or deserved it and you know which is what happens to people who inherit large sums of money after not having it. So um what kinds of things uh do you try to surface in that fear section is is it across the board from from our our personal uh life to our business life or or does it focus more on on that that personal side of the equation? I I think it depends on well it it's a lot of things because you know Sometimes our fears come or stem from things that 
we have had no control over, like our upbringing. You know, right. when we think about the relationships that are that basically we had as a as a child, that was mostly our familial, you know, relationships. And so, if you felt like you couldn't trust a parent, that could manifest itself in a million different ways. And so, if you have trust issues at work, meaning let's say you can't delegate because you just don't feel like anybody's going to live up to your expectations, you have fears and trust. And so where where did that stem from? And understanding sort of the root cause of that fear is going to help you, one, understand why you are the way you are, understand your limitations, but also give you the ability to say, well, now that I understand where that fear is coming from, what can I do about it? Is there something I can change today so that fear can not be a problem? And that's the way we move forward, you know. And so the fears, it, often what's interesting is that people find their fear, you know, they're, they're scared of, like, taking the risk is the obvious fear. You know, you want to be an entrepreneur, but you don't know where to be. You're just scared to take that first step. Well, that's kind of the obvious fear. I always think it's really interesting when the people have fears, but they don't they have to really think about why they have them. And so, I think fears are a huge driver in helping us not only understand ourselves better, but also understand how we can move forward to make the best life for ourselves. Hmm. That's that's really really powerful. Um, so getting past the fears, you then take people into uh, assessing their passions and their accomplishments as well as uh, acknowledging their failures and, and what things are, are motivating them. Um, and, and I find it interesting that you then, uh, at, at this later stage, have them visit their upbringing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it seems to me that, that that should have come earlier, but I know you had a really good reason for where you placed <laughs> that. Well, you know, I think that you have to look at yourself as an individual, right? And sometimes, you know, the order, maybe the order isn't necessarily something that people have to be 150% like strict with. But I find that understanding sort of you today, right, and that's kind of what a lot of that first half is, um, helps you then look backwards and start pinpointing why you are the way you are today. So if you have certain fears, right, that that you've struggled with, but you may not be able to identify why yet, taking the time to first identify the fears and then maybe looking at your past will help you then say, oh, you know, I'm starting to see some sort of correlation between this fear and the issues I had with my mom or my dad or right. my brother or my or being you know picked on in school, and so the sometimes they're not obvious if you just ask those questions right off the bat, and I think gaining a better understanding of who you are then helps you understand why you are that way right i I had an interesting experience where um it actually related not so much to my upbringing as a child, but to my corporate upbringing. And mm-hmm. I had worked uh, in a, a very, very large company that had a very, very autocratic CEO. And I worked for one of the business units who had a, a female CEO who very much modeled his style because that's what she had grown up under. And she was 
everything had to be in writing to her, but everything that you wrote, it would come back with these tiny little uh, margin notes from her. And, and uh, you know, invariably you were asked to re- redo uh, different portions of it. And I switched companies um, to a, a slightly smaller company that was a competitor. And I, I worked uh, as one of the senior leadership in strategic planning. And my boss, um, you know, I would write everything down. And, and he came into me one day, or he asked me to come into his office, I guess. And he said, you know, Chicky, um, you do know that you can come in here and actually talk to me, right? <laughs> and it wasn't until he said that and pointed out that I put everything in writing that I realized that it was my corporate upbringing that made me do that behavior and, and that I never felt like it was going to be good enough because, uh, you know, it had always been turned over before. So I, I think that it can be really super useful and, and uh, again, not just for uh, how we were raised in, in our homes. Uh, I happen to have oh, had yeah, a, a, a terrific, very, very accepting uh, childhood. So, uh you know, I, I don't have uh, a lot of that personal baggage, but I do have a bunch of corporate baggage. <laughs> yeah, so. and you know, a lot of us do, and it's amazing right. how much we don't acknowledge that, you know. Right. So uh, this section kind of uh, finishes out by looking at, at uh, the plethora of your life experiences and, and uh, something that you call combined experience. And then you have them shift to what do I want? Uh, so the what I want uh, worksheet and, and actually developing uh, a mission statement. So tell us mm-hmm. um, how you get them to that place. Well, I think first of all, you you the first half of the book really the mission statement I would say is sort of where the turning point starts. Um, the first half of the book really looks at like your emotional your emotional side. It takes a it it, it does away with like the logical um, when you want to make a change there are two sides right you have your emotional side which means you're somehow invested in it because emotionally there's something saying something's not right i need to make a change and so forth um, without uh, without that emotion you have no real pa- there's no passion and so right. you need the passion to actually stay motivated to keep going forward and doing whatever change you want to make while the second half is really more of your rational side. Okay, well, how am I going to do it? Now that I know what I want to do, how do I do it? And so the mission statement sort of ends up giving you a simple way of looking at your life, summarizing all that's important to you and who you are, and looking at your life for the long term and saying, this is how I want to live my life. This is the type of person I want to be. This is These are the values I want to consistently strive to incorporate into my life right and with that sort of platform you can then say okay well if that's the case what do i want for my future what is it that i want to see my life look like in a year five years ten years whatever it is whatever timeline you're comfortable with um but until you can actually almost create a statement about who you are as an individual and what what your beliefs are what your values are you can you can spin your wheels trying to make some idea or come up with some ideas to what you should be doing for your future. So it, in a sense, it lays a foundation to enable you to make right the, the right decisions, the right um, you know choosing the right paths. When you have options to choose between, you you can see things more clearly. It gives you sort of a manifesto, if you will, of 
Like everything ties back to that mission. Right, right. Well, and I think, you know, having that blueprint and, and uh, you know, something that we can measure ourselves against, uh, again, is something that people don't normally think about for themselves. They think about it for their companies. Uh, but it's always amazing to me, and, you know, I've spent uh, the bulk of my adult life as, as a strategic consultant, how many organizations don't make sure that their strategy actually ties back to their mission. Right. And, you know, support, That's so true. supports I mean, who they want to be and who they want to be seen as. Right, 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 exactly. Um, and, that you know, it's funny. If you have been in consulting or if you have been in corporate America where you've gone through some sort of major transformation organizationally, th- this book makes sense because you've probably gone through something in your business or your company that that's similar. But it's funny, a lot of people would never think to apply similar principles of what worked or what didn't work when they were undergoing some transformation at work to their own personal life. But there's really a lot of parallels. Right, right. Yeah, and I I was thinking that, and and of course my brain, um, you know, kind of, True north for me is really working on the business side, right? And and it, I really have to push myself to pull myself to the personal side of the equation. Um, so as I look through your different uh, uh, chapter titles and and the, the subtitles of the various worksheets, I, I am constantly thinking about how I can apply that to my business. But this particular uh, section and this next section on designing your vision, um, you know, begins with uh, this reinvention gap map and and so i i think that that one's really important because uh, again knowing not only where we want to be but but how far apart we are from who who we are and where we want to go so tell me a little bit about what what drove you to uh, create that gap map well you know it kind of gives people a clear sometimes people need visuals you know and they, mm-hmm. they need to sort of say okay, this is the status today, and then this is where I want to be tomorrow. And that gives them sort of that first indication of how they can get there. Because if you don't if you don't start from where you are today and you don't see the end, you know, future state that you want, then how to get to your end future state may not be so clear. So, like, you know, if you just say, oh, I want to, I want to lose, you know, 50 pounds, and that's just your goal, but you have no you're not looking at it from a more <laughs> um serious perspective of right. okay, well, where are you today? You're hundred and eighty pounds, and you are on let's say ten medications, and you want to be you know it gives you sort of it helps you outline your plan in a sense it gives you that ability to say okay well what can i do to get from a to b if you don't have an a or if you don't have your b you know the plan ends up not going nowhere so it's kind of an easier way of saying okay well what are the steps that you need to take to make your your transformation happen um right. because i think when people are saying well or told to put their plan together that's a very overwhelming task so it kind of helps them naturally think about their plan without being asked to put the plan together. Right, right. So then uh, you move on from that to uh, really outlining your ideal tomorrow. And I, I do love that that whole concept. I remember, and I, I don't remember the name of the book, but uh, several decades ago uh, at least, 
there was a book that that helped you uh you know kind of do that that visioning and i remember actually going through it and and i worked uh for a division of american airlines at the time and we had a a a parking circle at the front of the building and it only had room for i don't know maybe eight cars and and they it was for all the senior executives and i remember beginning my vision of that you know my car was pulling in there and then i got out and went into my office and you know and and i started you know telling that story so is this uh, along those lines of of really looking at at what it would be like to walk through the life that you would like to have Exactly. If you can envision it, you can make it happen. You know, if you can't see it and you can't you can't put yourself in a situation of what you want to see for your future and in, in in your mind and you can't really taste it and feel it, it help it it makes it very difficult to actually achieve it. Um, you know, the, the this is something that's used quite often by athletes, you know, when they're competing. If they can't imagine themselves going through, let's say, um, I, I know snowboarders do this all the time, so they have all these, like, events and these um, tricks that they have to do. They often will play that whole entire thing in their head, you know, before they go and actually do it because doing so, one, gives them the confidence that they're going to be able to do it. They've they've done it in their head. They know, you know, they know what they need to do, but it also prepares them for the race if if it's a race. And so it's sort of the same idea. If you can if you can sort of think about what where you want to go and how that's going to look, it's going to prepare you and get you excited about making it happen. Right. Right. And and then, you know, you you have them go through their vision and then you have something called a vision effectiveness evaluation and you know, as I read about that, I think about people who do have a, a goal in mind or a vision in mind, but um, very much what you said about kind of the weight loss thing, that, you know, yeah, I, I want to be, uh, and, and whatever your goal is, I mean, you actually set, set a high end that is uh, uh, lower than my low end goal, so uh, I, <laughs> I had to reboot my brain when you were talking about that, but, you know, people want to get to some state and you know is it actually not only effective but is it possible i mean is that what the vision effectiveness evaluation is all about do do your actions or or those things that you plan line up with helping you to get to that vision yes i think it's easy to blue sky you know and people can get very caught up in a vision or an idea that is either unrealistic or seems is actually maybe just good in the moment but not actually great for the long term. And so the vision effectiveness evaluation worksheet sort of helps them, you know, take the step back um, and evaluate whether or not it's something that, one, is doable, but, two, that they really want, and, you know, is the authentic word I use a lot, but it's true. You know, if 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 you're creating a vision that's just not really deep down what you want, it's not going to happen. Right. You really need to want it to happen. So um, that's a huge component of it. So, yeah, it's sort of like a checks and balances for you. Right, right. So, you know, once you have been through all of this, then, you know, you really do have to create the plan at some point. 
And I think the interesting thing is in, in looking through this whole list is so many people want to just jump to the, you know, creating the plan. And I, I uh, was having a mentoring call this morning with a young entrepreneur that, uh, you know, he kept uh, saying to me, you know, I, I need to know how to do the, the milestones and, and the timeline and, and to, you know, to do the financial model. And I realized as I was talking to him that, you know, he wanted to be able to just write the plan, but he hadn't done the hard work of laying out, you know, all of these other things. So unless you go through stage one, stage two, and stage three, um, right. you know, you really aren't prepared to create the plan. So right. you begin this with the big end goals worksheet. And, you know, what if what if somebody needs a little help in, in kind of pushing their, their goals to something bigger than, than what they're already envisioning? Well, I mean, they don't need something bigger than what they're envisioning. They're, you know, what they're envisioning might be just fine. The end goals worksheet is basically just to say, okay, well, if you have this huge vision or this vision, what in the larger scale does that mean? And just right. understanding, okay, if let's say the 150 pounds I'll just right. keep using that. Uh, you're <laughs> trying to lose 30 pounds or whatever it is, and um, that's your that's your vision. You know, well, what does that mean? You know, that, that's a pretty large, ambiguous vision. I mean, granted, there's a numeric component to it, but does that mean that you are going to eat better? Does that mean you're going to start exercising? And looking at the components that make up your vision, that's what the whole larger end goals you know mean but then right. looking at each of those and understanding what they mean in more detail so breaking them down um you know i love the idea of people wanting to lose weight so well there's a lot of things that you can do to do that so just to have that goal can be extremely overwhelming but when you start breaking it down you know that means maybe cutting out fried foods it means maybe walking three times a week you start putting things that are a little bit more tangible to it right. and measurable to it and putting timelines to things, it starts becoming very real. Right. Well, and, of course, once you have that list, prioritize, prioritizing that list, which is, is part of the next step of the prioritization matrix worksheet. And then, uh, as we uh, talked about earlier, having milestones and, and really understanding the action steps. So the last stage, which is make it happen, um, the very first worksheet in that, that section is the list of affirmations. Talk to me about that. I'm sorry. Just repeat that one more time. The list of affirmations. Yeah. What okay. role uh, do the affirmations have in actually making it happen? Well, I think some people work well with affirmations and some people don't. And it's basically the affirmations is just one component of what could be what I call your motivational toolbox. And so having the ability to know what's going to motivate you and knowing what's going to work is really important as you as you go through your plan. So the 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 affirmations specifically are just one component that might work for you. Some people, you know, they they can't take them seriously, and so they don't necessarily find that they work for them. But the idea is that, you know, a lot of times we can be very negative, a lot of times we can be discouraged, and so the affirmations are a way for you to overcome some of those obstacles. You know, believing in yourself 
and having the confidence that you're going to get through whatever plan you've put together is crucial to actually getting through it. So, you know, things like today, you know, I believe I can, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the weight loss, I believe I can avoid those french fries at dinner. Um, right. Those are things that are really important because if you can say them out loud, you can acknowledge them to yourself you're going to be more likely to keep yourself accountable or hold yourself responsible for actually making them happen. Mm-hmm. Great. And so the last worksheet in that section is is about our habits. And is it Duhigg? Duhigg? Duhigg habit I Duhigg, modification? I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, clearly there are some habits that we have formed that have gotten us into the place that we are. I've got... Uh, uh, children that are uh, one is just about to become a teenager and the other one is. And both of them have this uh, really uh, actually bizarre habit, I find, of throwing uh, everything on the floor uh, when when they go into their room. And, you know, invariably they have to pick it up, which sounds to me like way more work than just, you know, putting the stuff away to begin with. But right. that, that habit loop and, and, and changing that habit um, – you know, it's not something that you can just address with words, um, you know, because that, that doesn't change the behavior. And I was talking to somebody yesterday about, you know, if you use move your wastebasket, uh, apparently you will throw trash on the floor for 21 days before you finally remember where the wastebasket is. So is this along those lines that that habit loop, um, you know, actually has to be broken, uh, you know, with with something a little bit drastic? Well, the habit loop is actually, um, you know, first of all, it's a that habit loop is impl- is uh, <laughs> assuming that you want to make the change. So, wanting to change somebody else's habit is not where the habit loop is going to work too well. Um, I mean, I'm sure there there are certain instances that you can apply it, but um, you know, when you're trying to work with an organization. But I would say that most most people who are looking at their habit loop, it, they're looking to change the habit. Um, and the habit loop basically has three components to it. It has the um, the cue, which is what tells you that you w- you're going to do something that is the habit. Then you have the actual action or the habit itself, and then you have a reward. And Charles Dewey had a really great um, example for himself where he described how he was gaining weight and he couldn't figure out why and he, you know, tried to figure it out by looking at his habits. And so he realized that for the last year he was going down every day to the cafeteria to get a cookie. Um, And that cookie over time started to add up. And so he was like, well, how do I break, break this habit? Why do I get the cookie? I'm not even sure I really care about the cookie. And what he found was that the cue was, I think, like a 3 o'clock snack time, which a lot of people end up having as a cue. Um, the habit was getting the cookie and going down to the cafeteria, but the reward was actually a socialization component where he had the cookie and he ate the cookie, but doing so meant that he could actually speak to talk or speak to his colleagues and socialize and get a mental break that he he needed for that time period. Mm-hmm. And so when he could acknowledge that the reward wasn't so much about the taste of the cookie, now this may not apply to everybody else, but <laughs> in his case it didn't it wasn't about the cookie. Um he could modify his habit loop by 
you know, he had the cue, he kept the cue. He The habit changed where he said, well, if my reward, which is really the key component to the habit loop, isn't about the, the cookie, well, how do I make the reward happen without the cookie? And so he started, I think, going down and or socializing with people at 3 o'clock to get the mental break, but he just didn't, you know, include the cookie part, and so he right, lost right. the weight, I think. So, I mean, it's that's what the habit loop is about. And for us to break habits that are limiting our ability to make changes that we want to make, that's where um, that's where that habit loop worksheet can be helpful. Right, right. All right, great. So I've got to work out a habit loop worksheet for my kids that motivates them <laughs> to want to change their behavior. I think that's a whole different issue. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't yeah, know what their reward yeah, is. reward is laziness. We'll, we'll circle back on that with you in about 15 years. How about that? <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, Brett, it has been terrific to catch up with you and uh, you know, this this book, I just I cannot wait to dig in and you know, I'm I'm at that place where uh I just think it's time for some reflection and and uh, I've got uh, a little bit of a breather in um, what I'm doing in business. So, uh it was very very timely to have you on and I just hope you have a, a terrific rest of the day and and a great week. Uh, weekend ahead of us and uh, for those who are listening um, and don't have something to write this down with because um, her her last name is a little bit long uh, the book is called A Whole New You if you just search for it uh, on the internet you will you will find that on Amazon and others uh, for those of you who do have something to write with uh, our guest's name is Brett Blumenthal Brett, Brett I'm sorry boy tripped all over that. Uh, Brett, can you tell us uh, what the best website is to find out more information about you? I know you do uh, public speaking and and you you also do coaching, so give us that information. Sure. It's um, sheerbalance, S-H-E-E-R, balance.com. And that's that's where you can find everything about the books. You can find out about what I speak on and and everything. my articles that I write and so forth. So, yeah, that's perfect. Wonderful, wonderful. And and from there, uh, she has all of the various social media platforms that uh, that you can follow her, her on as well. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, again, if you want to be living at your best, you need to, to follow Brett's blog. And, uh, you know, if you can get a hold of this book and take the time to invest in yourself, I really, really highly recommend it. Thank you so much for having me, and anyone who does read the book, feel free to send in your questions through my website. (laughs) Great. That's terrific. All right, and uh, for more information about the Executive Girlfriends Group, it's www.executivegirlfriendsgroup.com. We have uh, about four years of uh, interview content on topics of leadership and growth and innovation, entrepreneurialism, life balance, you name it. And we've got some amazing authors. And, Brett, again, thanks for coming back a second time. And we will see you uh, actually in two weeks. Uh, Next week I'm going to be out of the country on business and traveling on Friday, so we are not having a show. But uh, thanks again, and we will see you soon.